0: We're so thrilled that all of you are here as we uh, wrap up our Advent series. Again, if you don't know what Advent is, it's this time of eager anticipation, this time of waiting. Uh, this is this is actually more accurate to um, to sort of a biblical you know Christmas, if you will, uh, as as we're leading up to the the holiday this the whole idea was all of the Old Testament uh, they were eagerly waiting and anticipating for the Messiah to come uh, all of the Old Testament they were they heard the prophecies they knew it was going to happen and they were waiting and desiring and longing uh, for the day that Jesus would come their Messiah would come to deliver them and so when that happened on Christmas uh, whenever whenever we had that very first day when Jesus came to this earth as a baby when that happened in all of their waiting all of their longing all of their angst was satisfied in that moment and so we want to remember that and so we participate in this idea of advent throughout the season of uh christmas throughout the 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 month of december uh where we actually walk through it in the same way and we have this time of eager anticipation leading up to uh this moment and 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 likewise we should be eagerly awaiting the day when jesus returns so we should have this, this anticipation for, uh, for, God, for God to come back just like Jesus promised that he would. So my, my prayer is that God has and will meet with you in this place today. Uh, I don't have uh, as much time with you as normal, so if it's okay, we're going to go ahead and just dive right in here this morning. Let's read from Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, that's right, we're going to skip ahead. I know normally we settle on the nativity, on, on the whole idea of Jesus' birth. We settle on that uh, here, and we're going we're gonna to talk about it a little bit uh, toward the end, but I've actually got a different direction I want to go here this morning. Um, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means uh, least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose uh, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return the Herod, they departed on their own to their own country uh, by another way. All right, we're not entirely sure where the wise men came from. We're not entirely sure who they were or where they came from. We don't know how many wise men there were. We tend to think that there were 3 because there were 3 gifts and somehow Somewhere along the way, somebody wrote a song called, We Three Kings of Orient. So we tend to believe that there were three, but we actually really don't know. The truth is, is it could have been three or it could have been a caravan of, of people. We really don't have uh, any idea. We don't know exactly where they're from. We're told that they uh, were from the east, but we don't know if it was near east or far east. Now, I know none of you are losing sleep over these kind of questions, and, and we're going to get practical here in, in just a moment, but I think it helps to know a little something about the story. Many people think that Babylon is a good guess as to where these three wise men came from. And if it was Babylon, that's about a 900-mile trek on Camelback one way. That's a rem- <laughs> That, that is a remarkable amount of distance to travel at this point in time because you have to understand that, that in this culture, in this time, in this day and age, there were, obviously there were no cars, there was, there was no way to get around uh, except by foot and maybe on uh, camelback or donkeyback. And, and the thing is, is that most people never traveled more than 30 or 35 miles from their birthplace right where they was born where they were born they never traveled more than just just 30 or 35 miles away from that so so in my mind this would have had to rank as one of the most remarkable expeditions in all of history again we're not exactly sure who they were the term magi originally referred referred to chiefly um to to the the priestly class in persia uh but then it was more broadly used throughout history for like scholars and, and astrologers and magicians. But even the word magician is a little misleading because because magician was basically like a doctor, uh, somebody who knew something about medicine. We don't call our doctors magicians, but they did back then. Um, so we also don't know whether they were Gentile or whether they were possibly some of the remnant that was maybe left in Babylon during the time of captivity that kind of knew about the prophecies, that knew about who Jesus uh, was going to be, who the Messiah was going to be, and where he was going to be born. So we're really, here's what I'm saying, there's so much about this story that we don't know. And we take it for granted, I know. Three wise men, three kings, they came, they gave the presents, and we just roll with it. But there's so much about the story that we don't know. But there's wisdom to be gained from the wise men. If you're taking notes and you want to write down a title for this morning, Wisdom from the Wise Men is the title of the message today. And let me say from the beginning that I understand that there is uh, a debate. There is contention about whether or not the wise men actually visited Jesus whenever he was a baby, or whether he was, you know, two years old. And, and I know some people are very stickler about it, and they take the wise men out of the nativity scene that you set up at your house, and you you push them like twelve inches to the left, and you want to make sure that you that the kids know, okay, they weren't there, they they came from the east, and they will be there. And I understand all of that, but for the sake of uh, this morning, and the sake of this message. It is included in the nativity narrative in the Word of God, and that is good enough for me, so we're talking about it here today. All right. First lesson uh, from the wise men. Wise men follow the star. Wise men follow the star. Yesterday, um, my daughter Ainsley got a fortune cookie that said something about uh, all peace and goodwill toward men. She she read it to me, (laughs) and she got a sad look. And said, well, what about women? <laughs> I had to explain to her the idea of mankind. And, and so let's, I want to make sure that we're all encompassing this morning. Wise women follow the star as well. We're all on the same page here, but for the sake of this story, wise men follow the star. It says, it says, uh, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I've mentioned uh, before that Jen and I uh, subscribe to something called a date box, which is this great service that sends you all or or almost all of the different elements each month for a fun and creative date. And so one thing, one of these dates that that, that we had this last year stuck out to me. Um, was it was kind of an outdoors date, and we had like a fondue dinner outside, and they got, gave us the candles and all the stuff to, to make the, the fondue, and uh, it gave us some conversation starters, and I think like a little game, and, and then uh, it, it had us to go and, and to look at the sky, so it, had to, it was supposed to happen at night, and you're supposed to go look at the sky together, it gave us this, this map of the stars, but also sent us to an app. And so we got the blanket, and we went into the backyard to look at the stars together. And and so I downloaded this app that what happens is when you point it up to the sky, some of you maybe have seen this or heard of this before, you point it up to the sky, you turn the app on, and and it's, it's got the stars there, but then it maps them into their actual constellations. So you're no longer just looking at random stars in the sky, but you're looking at this map of, of constellations and, and galaxies, and it was pretty cool. Like I'm not a star guy. I know the sun and the planets and maybe like the North star, uh, but the rest of them are just a bunch of dots in the sky. Well the app was pointing out these crazy things. Like it's pointing out the Big Dipper, we all know the Big Dipper. Did you know there was a bear up there? There's a bear. And there's a lady. I don't remember her name. I don't remember the bear's name. There are these things up there, and they're all, they're all connected. And, and all of a sudden, the night sky, it, it honestly became a little bit more miraculous to me. As, as you're looking at it, here's what I want to suggest. There are billions of miracles right above our heads. But most of us never even take the time to look up or to appreciate what we're looking at or to appreciate the fact that the light we're seeing left those stars so, 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 so long ago before we're ever even seeing them with our eyes. So I think what happens is it's easy for us to miss the miracle. Psalm 19 is one of my favorite psalms. I know I say that about all the psalms and most of scripture, but that's because it's true. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. This is so powerful. But if we aren't careful, men and women of God, if we aren't careful, we stop staring at the stars. We stop stargazing. We stop following the stars. All I know is this. We've got some wise men who are looking at the stars. And there has to be this holy curiosity right, as they're looking at this star, the sense of wonder is they look into the night, and it tells me a lot about them. I wonder if we have stopped doing that. How many moments have you had, think about this, where you were just literally lost in awe? You were awestruck struck by the power of God the wonder of God, the miracles, the miraculous creation of God. Church life is not measured in minutes. It's measured in moments. And those moments are when we look up. We would look up, like, look, not just look up at the sky, but we look up from our phones, look up from our devices, look up from our work, and we see the work of God in front of us. But, of course, the wise men didn't just... Stare at those stars. They followed the stars. And this is where the story gets so interesting, I think. We assume, we assume this is what they did because it's all we've ever known. It's the way the story goes. But I wonder, were there some men, were there some not wise men that saw the star and didn't follow it? I wonder. I would be willing to bet that there were some not wise men who had the same opportunity to follow the star that God placed in front of them but they chose not to follow. Just thinking about the journey, what a leap of faith that these guys took. What a leap of faith that it took to follow the star. You understand that there was no trail. There was no map. There was no guide. There was no GPS. All they had was a star to guide them. They probably didn't know where they were going or how long it would take to get there or who they were even trying to see. Here's what I'm saying, church. This is one of the greatest leaps of faith in all of Scripture. You had Abraham who left his family and his country to go to the promised land, promised land and we say, like, oh, yeah, that was Abraham. That's awesome. But in my opinion, the wise men actually upped the ante. All right? To me, this is a bigger leap of faith. We don't even know if they heard the voice of God. At least Abraham heard the voice of God. But something in them, something deep within them enables them to take this step of faith. I think if I could zoom way out and get us to look in the mirror for just a moment, I would ask the question, are you following the star? Are you following the star this morning? The dream that God has put in your heart, are you following the star? Are you going after, are you chasing after God? Are you taking that step of faith in the direction that God wants you to go? He's put that before you. Are you moving there? Here's what I'm getting at, and this this is really the point we sometimes miss. Who should have found the Messiah? Who should have found the Messiah? It should have been, by my estimation, the religious leaders who were in Jerusalem, just five miles away from Bethlehem. The Jewish leaders, they knew, the Jewish religious leaders, they knew based on Micah's prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They knew that, but they wouldn't even go five miles out of their way to see, the, see if the Messiah was in fact born. But you have these ancient wise men that we don't know much about who go out of their way, maybe 900 or more miles out of their way to discover him. And they discovered him and it changed their lives because an encounter with a true God will always leave you changed. Wise men follow the star. Let me also say it this way. Wise men go out of their way to get to God. They go out of their way to get to God. Watch this church. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. I believe there is no other name under heaven given unto men that which you may be saved but also believe that Hebrews 11.6 says that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's not my job to figure out how these mesh, but I do believe that God is big enough to reveal himself through the stars. And if you don't believe that, then I think your God is too small. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But God is big enough and good enough to reveal himself to anybody, anywhere, anytime. I think the issue this morning is, are we seeking God? Are we seeking God? Ask if you're following the star, but let me just make it real personal, because you, maybe you can't put into your mind's eye what the star is in your life and what that really means, and you can't take that metaphor and, and break it down. So let me break it down for you. Are we seeking God? Hear this. If If he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him, okay, I want you to hear me, church, then, Those of us who know Jesus better be seeking him first, not second, not third, not tenth. First, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of these things will be added unto you. We want God to add these things unto us and we will seek him. No, that's not the correct sequence. That's not the way that works. It's not God, add unto me, and then I'm going to follow you. That's not the way he set this up. That's not the way that's supposed to be. You don't seek opportunity. You seek God, and then opportunity seeks you. You make a decision that you are going to seek God first. What does that mean? I think it means that your life is going to revolve around this pursuit of knowing Christ. And and not just in the power of his resurrection, but also in identifying with his suffering. Each day, in every way, a desire to know the creator of the universe and the redeemer of our souls in a new way and a better way. That's what that means. That's what that, so what does it look like then? Okay, let me tell you a story and see if this helps. I know uh, there probably aren't many baseball fans in the house. That's okay. I I get that it's a, uh, it's America's pastime still, in my opinion, but but not in America's opinion. That's okay. Maybe you've heard of a man named Tom Seaver. He was a major league pitcher, uh, best known for his time at the New York Mets. <laughs> Got a Mets fan in the back. Uh, he was, uh, so he was a great pitcher. is uh, a fantastic pitcher. His career spanned some 20 years. He compiled 311 wins, uh, 3,640 strikeouts, 61 shutouts, a career ERA of 2.86. If you don't know anything about baseball, that's really good. In fact, when he was voted into the Hall of Fame, he was voted in at a, at a clip of, I think, 98.84%. They voted him on the very first try. That was the highest margin anybody's ever been voted in at that point in time. He was a shoe in How did Tom Seaver perform at that level for two decades? here's the secret. You guys ready? He said this, pitching determines what I eat when I go to bed and what I do when I'm awake. Pitching determines how I spend my life when I'm not pitching. Read that quote. That's really interesting. Why? Because he is a pitcher, so he decided that his whole life would revolve around pitching. Watch this church, I'm a seeker. My life needs to revolve around seeking God. There is an omniscient omnipotent God who listen that you can know, that you have the opportunity to know and he wants you to know that you know that you know that you are saved. But he who thinks he knows yet does not know as he ought to know. That's 2 Corinthians 8.2. That's confusing. But what it really means is the more you know, the more you know how much you don't know. You seek God even more because you want to know more of his love. You want to know more of his power. You want to know more about his goodness. And that means that your life revolves around the pursuit of God. I think the problem is, that most of us follow God to the point of inconvenience, but no further. As long as it's comfortable and convenient, as long as it fits with our plan, it's a nice add on. But I think true discipleship really begins when it, when it gets inconvenient. I think what you have here is a story about some wise men who are not just willing to go out of their way, but, but to go so far out of their comfort zone that they would risk everything to pursue God. And I think that is what God honors. He honors tax collectors who climb sycamore trees just to get a glimpse of Jesus. God responds to people who go out of their way to seek him. Here's my challenge for you this coming year. I would challenge you to seek opportunities to inconvenience yourself for the sake of Christ intentionally. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like for you. It could be serving the people around you more, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family. It could be serving in the local church so that others can hear and see the good news of Jesus shared. It could be giving regularly so that God can multiply your gifts for his glory, uh, for the growth of his kingdom. It could be any of these things. I don't know what this looks like for you, but I know this for sure. Wise men still seek him. Wise women still seek him. Wise men go out of their way and inconvenience themselves for the propagation of the gospel. All right, let's talk about number two. I think wise men jump for joy. This will make sense in a moment. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When was the last time you celebrated? I mean, like really celebrated, like ran around the house screaming and shouting, tears of joy streaming because you're celebrating so hard. This is a broad generalization, but I just don't think we celebrate the goodness or greatness of God as much as we could or should. I don't think we celebrate the life or celebrate the love as much as we could or should. I don't think we celebrate the little blessings or the big blessings as much as we could or should. I don't think we, as, I don't think we enjoy life, enjoy the journey, or enjoy God nearly as much as we could or should. I read this last week, the, uh, a bit from the, the shorter Westminster Catechism. It says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's that second part that we forget. We leave it off. We don't realize that God wants us to enjoy him. Stop and think about this angelic announcement of the birth of Christ. They could have announced it in any way they wanted to, right? But what did they say? They said, we bring good good news of great joy. We bring good news of great joy. This is the announcement of the gospel, so if you reverse engineer the whole thing, I think that you get back to is, is this, this one differentiating factor for those of us who follow Christ. And that ought to be joy. That ought to be joy. We ought to be the most joyful people on the planet. Doesn't ha- doesn't mean you have to smile like you're a televangelist or something, but, but you ought to smile more. You, you should smile more in keeping with your personality and character. <laughs> it would be weird if everyone. You ought to laugh more. There we go. You ought to laugh more. We, we should be better at having fun because we take God seriously, but, but we don't take ourselves seriously. I think the happiest, healthiest, holiest people on the planet are the people who laugh at themselves the most. So again, I just want to step back and paint a picture here because I want to make sure that we get this. Look at the Old Testament, and you'll find that God has instituted seven feasts. All right. These feasts are just religious parties, celebrations, if you will, and they are the rhyme and the reason of the Jewish calendar. They're the rhythm of life. the feast of the Passover, the feast of the unleavened bread. We talked about that. Uh, we talked about that in recent history, uh, just, just a couple of series ago. Why would God ordain seven feasts? Yes, each feast had a different uh, purpose, had a different uh, thrust, had a different focus, and God used them to remind his people what was important. But I also think that God wanted to teach his people how to celebrate. So he gave them seven feasts so that he could weave joy into their lives and the ability to celebrate in their lives. I believe that when we worship God, we are most closely reflecting what is happening in heaven because Revelation 4, I love this, Revelation 4, it kind of gives, it lets us look through the floorboards of heaven. And what we see are those who are worshiping God nonstop, the elders, uh, the, the angels, those who have gone before us. But I think the second best reflection is celebration. The reason I say this is because in Luke 15, it says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved. So if you looked at all the people around the world that got saved each and every day, there wouldn't be a second that goes by that someone isn't putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what that tells me is in a very literal way, the celebration in heaven never stops. It never stops. But I think that we also have to personalize it and realize that the the moment you turn from sin to Christ, in that moment you set off a celebration in all of heaven. How awesome is that? So when we celebrate, we're doing what they are so good at already in heaven. And I think that is what part of what it means to be a wise man. So here's my question. Did you rejoice as much as you could have or should have this past year? Did you laugh enough? Did you smile enough? Did you allow the joy of the Lord to shine through you? We don't have time to cover the third point, which is wise men bring gifts but if you want to write it down, you can write it down. Wise men bring gifts. Let me give you the cliff notes. Uh, God uh, deserves our all. He deserves our best, not just monetarily, but, but in action and speech as well. Remember uh, that, that which you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. That's what Scripture says, meaning wise men bear gifts for God, but we also bear gifts for each other. Kind words, acts of service, quality time for each other as well. Let me tell you where joy is found, and then we're going to wrap up it is found in the exact same place where the wise men found it. Not Bethlehem. Not in following a star. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. True joy is only found in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You haven't experienced joy until your sin has been forgiven and forgotten and until you have come to the realization that you are the apple of God's eye. That's what the Bible calls you. You can't change all of your circumstances, but you can change your focus. Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. I don't know who this, is, who this is for here this morning, but let me tell you something right here. If you fix your eyes on sin, you are doing exactly what the enemy wants you to do. You will feel depressed. You will feel defeated. So my advice is don't focus on your sin. Your sin has been Confessed. Focus instead on your Savior. Christmas is not just a celebration of the birth of Christ. It's a celebration of his sinless life and his substitutionary death on the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Church, you might not get what you want under the Christmas tree this year. I'm sorry about that. But if you kneel at the foot of the cross, you will get a gift unlike any gift ever offered. It's the gift of salvation. It's the gift of your sin forgiven in one fell swoop. It's the gift of being in right relationship with the one who actually created you, who knit you together in your mother's womb. The one who has plans and purposes for your life. It's the gift of of abundant and eternal life. I love the story about the little girl who was asked if she got what she wanted for Christmas, and she thought about it for a moment, and she said, no, but then again, it's not my birthday. (laughs) I love that little girl. I don't know if she's real or not or if that story's made up, but it's true. It's not our birthday. It's the birth of Christ, and here's what I love about this. It's the birthday of Jesus, but he brings the gift. The gift of salvation, and all we have to do is receive it. John 1 says, uh, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I wonder if there's someone in here who doesn't have a relationship with God. You know of him. You know a little bit about him. But you've never given your life over to him. You've never accepted that gift from Jesus. Jesus. In a room this size, I would guess there is certainly at least one person. And so if that's you, I'm talking right to you right now. Just to you right in this moment. God knows who you are. If that's you, God wants you to know he loves you. He loves you. He loves you right now. In the midst of your mess, in the midst of your pain, He loves you right now. In the midst of your sin, He loves you. In fact, God loves you right now, no more or less than He ever has or ever will, because God is love, and He loves every one of us. His love is perfect. The light has come for each and every one of us. Jesus came for all, and there is nothing that we could have done, and there's nothing we can do to disqualify us from God's free gift of salvation. And here's what you need to know this morning. That's more than just a journey. It's more than just following a star. It's more than being joyful and all these things we talked about. It's more than making your way to the side of a manger or making your way to the foot of the cross. It's about surrendering your all to him, surrendering your life to him, giving Jesus all that you are and allowing him to change you. And we do that with belief, confession, reposturing our hearts, and then celebrating all that God has done. So everyone all across this room, we're going to pray this prayer together. And if you're praying this for the very first time, pray with belief. Pray knowing that God hears and God sees your heart and your, your desire to know him. So, church, we're going to pray this, and I'll just ask all of you to repeat this. Pray this prayer after me. God, we believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Right now, I give my life over to him. I trust in him. I believe in him. I lay my sins down before him. His blood washes me. I am clean and my life is no longer mine. But I am a new creation in you. I want you to understand something, church. If that's the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, if that's the first time you ever meant it in your heart, all of heaven is rejoicing right now. All of heaven is rejoicing right now. And you know the beautiful thing is that there are church services happening all over this city, all over this area, all over this country, all over this world where people are giving their life to Jesus right now in this very moment. There is somebody coming to know the Lord and heaven is celebrating. Amen. There may be somebody in this room that just gave their life to Jesus. If that's you, I would love to talk with you in the, in the hallway over here right after we're done in just a few moments during this next song. I'd love to see you over there, and I'd love to just chat with you and talk with you and pray with you and rejoice with you. But right now, what I'd love for us to do is we're, Brad's going to share a few things with us, but I want us to stand and shout with joy to the Lord for all that he has done. Let's celebrate with heaven for people that are coming to know him. Let's celebrate for all that he's done for the power of the Holy Spirit in this place.